As a man, when was the last time you took a ride on the emotional roller coaster and really expressed your thoughts, feelings, and opinions? Well, according to data from Health Sciences and the Toronto Star, it shows that expressing one's emotions is healthy. However, in the case of men, they routinely lose their invitation to such a party. The data shows that a whopping 80% of men suppress their emotions. And only 23% of the male population reports crying when feeling helpless or in need of attention. By comparison, 58% of women reported expressing their emotions under similar circumstances. Women are also shown to cry five times more likely than men when they are in need of assistance and they live five years longer than their male counterparts thanks to expressing their emotions. For my friend Andrew Birch, he works with men to break through the chains of apathy and addiction in order to level up to men of power, which enables them to have impact in their spheres of influence. Birch believes that a large part of life is all about internal motivation and locating the courage of our internal convictions in order to maximize our level of difference as men in the world today. And Birch joined me this week to have an in-depth discussion on what it means to fulfill our ultimate potential as men, as providers, as people, and as difference makers. This is a thought-provoking conversation all about life development and growth potential, and one in which I am excited to share with all of you right now. So without further delay, I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. Welcome you to the program, and I'm super excited to learn how to help men level up in both uh, their personal and professional life, my friend. Great uh, to see you today, and thank you so very much for being here. Yeah, man, such a pleasure. How could we go call, and, and thanks for having me on. I really do appreciate that. Absolutely. Now, Drew, I know that you, your uh, professional mission is to uh, work with men to help them sort of break through the chains of apathy and addiction in order to level up in all aspects of their life, my friend, and give them 
the power power necessary so that they can impact lives both both from a personal and other uh, standpoint. So I'm wondering if we can start a conversation by you telling me about the good work that you do, my friend, and what makes you so fabulous. Look, I believe that every man has a purpose that we all have something that we're meant to accomplish in life, that we have a legacy to leave behind, that we have a battle that we need to win. And, and obviously that looks different for, for every man, right? Um, but before a man can be effective in fulfilling his purpose, before he can become effective enough to conquer the ground that he must conquer, he first needs to conquer himself. And today I find that most guys are held back by either apathy or addiction. So apathy is a lack of interest in life. It's a lack of routines, a lack of discipline, a lack of competence, and then ultimately a lack of confidence, right? And then you have uh, your addictions, all the classics, and I think almost all of us are hooked by at least a couple of them, and we'd rather not acknowledge them than have to turn around and, and take them on, right? And so I work with men to help them to level up and to become who they need to be to do what they are created and, and called to do. Yeah, Andrew, I'm fascinated to ask you about the idea of helping men build a, a social understanding of capital in life. And what I mean by that is, you know, most men are uh, either hesitant or ashamed to get emotional in life. And, you know, I believe that emotion can be used as a Sort of, sort of superpower to understand the world at large. So tell me about the importance of men really developing that social and emotional capital. And how important do you think that is? Yeah, I think that that having that that emotional capital, being um, able to 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 understand emotion and dwell into emotion and, and harness your own emotions perhaps not be um, controlled by your emotions. So I take quite a stoic stance on emotion. I believe that we want to feel the emotion. I can feel the anger. I can feel the despair. I can feel the sadness, but I am not the emotion. I am not the anger. I am not the sadness, but I can understand it, look at it objectively, take a step back and then act logically from that place. So I'm, I'm all about feeling the emotion as long as it's not um, a controlling emotion. And then I think that, Harnessing that emotional um, understanding, that emotional intelligence is a part of becoming a, for, for lack of a better term, a high-value man. Um, so I think it's a, a big part of, of, of what guys need to develop is an emotional understanding and the capacity to process their emotions um, in, in a manner that doesn't you know, damage them or those around them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Drew, I, I wonder your thoughts on the idea of leadership when it come, comes to men, because, you know, oftentimes men are the heads of their households and they're, they're dealing with all of this sort of mental uh, energy to perform in terms of providing for uh, the households that they lead. So I'm curious, how do you look at a man's role in terms of of masculinity in terms of the, the traditional and non-traditional roles uh, of a man. Because, you know, 
it's changing nowadays, isn't it? I'm curious to your thoughts there. So, so I know in, in Canada, you guys have got a, a far more um, liberal take on it um, nowadays, if, if, if anything that I hear from Trudeau seems to be the standard. Um, I do take a slightly more traditional uh, understanding of, of, a man, of a man's role. Um, I do think that men bear the responsibility um, of being protector and provider to a massive extent. Um, I think that um, the way that society has been um, cultured and manufactured and driven has started to remove a lot of um, what that responsibility used to be. And I don't think that it's been to the benefit of um, both men and women. And so all that I can do is to try and make men as strong and ready to fulfill what I believe to be their roles in life um, uh, so that they can then partner with somebody who wants to be the other end of that equation. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good summation of my, of my thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Drew, I, I know one of the mottos that you live by is to become a higher... To become a higher value, and I'm, I'm curious, what does that mean to you to become high value? What does that mean to you, my friend? So the, the term high value, I use high value because it's it's an it's an easy roll off the tongue. But I think what most people mistake it to mean is that it's the man's, uh, it's what the man owns or what he can do for himself, and, and that's not what I mean by high value. I think that that's a great byproduct of being a high value man. But when I talk about a high value man, what I really mean is a man who is able to deliver a large amount of value or influence in their sphere. And what I'm saying is that it's their ability to do work, right? Work provides value. And so the rate of work over time is called power. And so what I'm actually saying is that I'm trying to make men more powerful, right? So you know, it applies to every aspect of a man's life. Uh, if a man has more money, he's more powerful because now he has more leverage. So he can provide more value, i.e. he can do more work over the same amount of time or for the same amount of effort. But what he's actually doing is he's building his power. At the end of the day, though, he doesn't become powerful and therefore thereby influential or impactful until he first uh, is able to build power over himself. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Drew, I know that you also help men sort of resist the, 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 uh, the, the temptation of procrastination. So I'm curious, how do you think men can do that? And how do we help men sort of avoid the vice of procrastination so procrastination is a coping mechanism it stems from a lack of clarity a lack of a direction or a knowledge of what your ultimate goals actually are right so if a man can map out who and who he wants to be and where he actually wants to go and then map out what those steps look like so that I can know exactly what I have to do today in this very moment and how to do it, then I end up circumnavigating the fascination entirely. 
Uh, yeah, Andrew, I, I mean, I'm curious, but what do you believe is, is the definition of a quality of service? And what, what I mean by that is, how do you think a man can measure their, their worth in terms of service to others? So how do you view the term equity of service? That's an interesting one because I think for different men, it's going to look differently. We don't all have the same lives. And and I think, and I got asked this question by, by somebody recently, and, and the only way that I could put it that made sense in, in my head is that we're all a part of a tapestry. We're all a thread in that tapestry. And so even if someone's thread may not seem significant in the broader sphere, you don't know what the butterfly effect is of his life. One one man can make the right move and be kind to somebody in the right moment that could change their whole life and they could go on to change somebody else's whole life. And so just because the guy isn't um, donating a million dollars to to a charity doesn't mean that he's not having an immense impact down the line. And so we don't always see the initial impact. But I think as soon as a man is looking to make any kind of impact into a purpose greater than himself, he's on the right path and, and moving in the right direction. Yeah, and, and you know, Drew, I look at life as a um, sort of a standard deck of playing cards, you know, we're all given a deck of cards at birth and throughout the course of our life, and it's my fundamental belief that we have to sort of stack them in the, in the direction that we want to go, and I'll give you a personal example. So, Drew, at the age of nine, I was told by a doctor that I would not be able to walk for the duration of my life because of the severity of my cerebral palsy, but I truly believe that inclusion, my friend, is the gateway to independence, and we're sort of all given a life compass, and we have to point it in the direction that we want to go. So I know that you talk to men extensively about taking action and painting our own portrait of uh, success in life. So what do you think it means for a man to really take life by the bull, by the horns, and uh, really paint that individual and ultimately, hopefully, that collective picture of success? So I, th I think that that's a, a very good question. And, and I was smiling earlier. I don't know if you noticed, but I was smiling because what you said about having a deck of cards, that we get given a hand of cards and that we have to then play that cards. We don't have a choice of the cards that we're dealt. We just have to then play that cards to the best of our abilities is one of the first things that I say when I am giving a talk. I think that it is a fantastic um, way to put life and, and that is the case where we handed this deck of cards we don't get to choose it and then we have to play the best hand that we can play and like you say in the direction that we would want to go and i think it's good to establish where you do want to go the first thing that needs to happen though um, and it's probably one of the hardest hitting um, statements that you can make to a guy is that nobody is coming to do it for you and so Life has trained us to be spectators in so many aspects of our life 
and to not be that main character. But once we realize that nobody's coming to kick you off the couch to go and train, nobody's going to come and hand you the textbook and make you study. Nobody's going to um, stop you from lifting a bottle to your lips um, or, or hitting a bong um, and being an addict. Then you can start to take that personal responsibility. And then you can decide, you know, who you want to be and, and, and how you how you want to do it. Uh, and, and then you can start taking action to go in that direction. And I think it's first clicking onto the fact that nobody else is coming to do it for you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Drew, I'm curious to get your thoughts on, uh, on, the, con on the concept of being a role model in life for men. How do you think men can exhibit sort of the traits of being an elite role model? That's a good question, and it's it's one that's quite quite close to to home for me because I I made a pivotal decision to live my life a certain way, and so the the summary would be it starts with authenticity and public accountability, right? Men want to be influential and they want to lead, but there's no substance to them, and there's no trust in what they're about. People need to know that you're the real deal. They need to either watch you become who you are or see you consistently be who you are, and it needs to be someone that they want to be. And so I used to be a, a party boy, and I'm talking um, loads of, uh, of lots of weed, loads of drugs, lots of girls. And so when I turned that around, um, for many years, people doubted me. They didn't believe me, right? But the decision that I did make that, that, has, that has turned that around is that I decided that I was going to be authentic from the very beginning. And so I was open with everything that I was Going through initially, I shared my, my, my wins and I shared my losses. And it takes a long time for people to see that you're actually authentic, that you actually are doing what you're talking about, right? But over time, when people do start to see you win and take ground and, and eventually lap them, they know why. And then they come and ask you for the roadmap and then you get to lead. But you first need to be authentic. You can't be putting on a mask. You can't be living a double life. And then yeah. consistently over time being publicly accountable. Yeah, and you bring up the idea of being accountable. So let's dive into uh, uh, accountability more uh, further. And I, I'm curious, how do they accountability and uh, consistency are interconnected? What are your thoughts there? So when I when I talk about accountability, uh, there are two ways that I go about it. So I have uh, groups, uh, private community groups that are that are that are and um, the, the kind of the pillars and the structure of the of the coaching community that I that I run. And so those guys keep each other accountable to certain actions they have to take every day, and to staying clean of the substances that they're trying to trying to rid themselves of. And then the other way that I stay accountable is I make public declaration. I share to my social media what I'm doing. And I will make a commitment saying the next 100 days I'm doing the 100 Club Challenge and my advices that I'm giving up are processed sugar and caffeine. I started four days ago on my next 100 Club. And when I mess up, I'll tell, my, tell the whole world as well. I'll say, hey guys, I messed up. I'm starting again. I messed up twice on my last 100 Club Challenge. But because I tell you that I mess up, you know that I'm actually am about what I tell you I'm about. And so that's what I mean by accountability. Yeah, and, you know, I want to drill down, Drew, just for a moment on the idea of, of the, the concept of 
excellence because, you know, that's a word that can have a different meaning for different people. But I'm wondering if there are any uh, uh, fundamental principles of, of, of understanding that come to mind when we talk about the word excellence and how it can be individually defined for so many different people. So on the one hand, I think that how you do one thing is how you do everything. Is the, is the first thing I would say is to make it a lifestyle rather than a an isolated attempt at certain things that have your attention and focus, rather to do life at, 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 an, at a level of excellence. The next thing that I would say, there's a saying that comes to mind. It's a quote by Rocco Willing. And he says, discipline equals freedom. And so I think in pursuing excellence, we first have to be disciplined enough to have the freedom over ourselves Right, and then once you have that freedom of yourself, you can then start to deliver excellent work. In other words, excellent value to the people around you and to yourself as a whole. So I think to become excellent, you first need to be disciplined. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Andrew, I wanted your thoughts also on the idea of creating habits and connecting that to expectations because. You know, I'm a firm believer, Drew, that if you don't have a fundamental level of personal expectations, it's hard to create the habits that other people would uh, uh, celebrate you for in terms of uh, meeting their own expectations. So tell me about the importance of expectations and setting goals for yourself and how it's interconnected to creating great habits in life. What are your thoughts there? There's a old book written by a man called James Allen. And he's actually quoting Proverbs with the title. It's called As a Man Thinketh. And I prescribe this book to every man that I work with. It's the first book that they have to read if they want to work with me. And I prescribe it because the book articulates, it's only 42 pages, it articulates very effectively that your reality is what you and you are what you believe yourself and your reality to be. That our life, that our habits, and thereby our consequences stem from our own thoughts and our own expectations. So, if you believe that you need to take uh, actions and live a life at a certain standard, be it in health or fitness, uh, be it professionally or in your relationships, you live to that standard. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Drew, what are your thoughts on, on the sort of idea of prosperity and creating internal prosperity and internal motivation mm. for that matter? What are your thoughts there? There's a metaphor that I've heard before. I don't know if it was Simon Sinek or, or one of the guys. And he talks about going to gym every day. And you could use brushing your teeth as as the same metaphor essentially what you what you would say is that if you go to gym once even if you go to gym for 11 hours other than the fact that you're going to have a bit of a muscle pump and maybe some long-standing injuries you're not going to notice any difference but when you go every day consistently and you and you deliver a performance that is of a certain minimum threshold over time be it months or be it years eventually you will start to see the results and start to see the 
goals that you have envisioned for yourself come to fruition. So I think that there is a consistency that we need to chase rather than an intensity while obviously also hitting those minimum requirements that we hold ourselves to. But I think it's an everyday repeated action until you yeah. see the results. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Drew, I work with businesses to really uh, amplify their understanding of embracing sort of, sort of what I call a diversity of perspectives. And, uh, you know, uh, specifically it's to encourage them to infuse uh, folks with uh, disabilities into the workplace culture, but for your purposes, I, I'm curious uh, how you view the concept of diversity of perspective and really the inclusion of all people. What are your thoughts then? I think that all men are created to deliver purpose and, and, and that all people have value and that all men fight the same battles to a certain degree. And so I think that the message is universal and that anybody can pick it up and run with it. So I, I haven't got a certain person that I, that I target. Um, I, my, my private coaching is primarily men out of the UK that are um, kind of 35 to, to, to 60, whereas my local mission is uh, the young men of, of South Africa. So I, I travel... Um, to all the high schools in this country um, to speak to them. So um, I, I, my message is, is, is for everybody, um, primarily aimed to men um, because I'm, I'm working from a men's um, perspective. We have a different psychology to women, but my message is for all, really. Um, I'm not at all isolated to, to certain people. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, achieving goals and aspirations is a mindset of both consistency and of purpose. So when we look at uh, achieving goals and aspirations, I'm, I, I'm curious to understand your fundamental uh, sort, of, sort of view on uh, sort of the, the mental and emotional fortitude it'll take to achieve both goals and aspirations. What are your thoughts there? So mental fortitude is an interesting one to me because I didn't grow up a very strong man mentally. I wasn't born a strong man. I was a very timid child. I was um, a liar and a, and a bit of a coward if I had to view myself objectively. And I was blessed with a, a very strong father um, who who carries the weight of the world in his shoulders and walks easily with a smile on his face. And over time, I have been able to emulate that. And through my own uh, coming of age, my own trials, my own exercises have eventually been able to build that into myself. So I think that it's something that we can develop. I think that it's something that we have to develop. And it's one of the first aspects of our program is helping men develop that mental toughness. I think one of the easiest ways we can go about developing a mental toughness is to do things that are difficult. And so that can that can vary from um, doing a water fast, not eating for a couple of days, or doing an ice bath, or doing exercise. 
Um, I host an event called Goggins Challenge. We run four miles every four hours for 48 hours, which is about 77 kilometers over that two days. And the whole point of that event is essentially a misogi, which is a Japanese term for doing something hard once a year that sets your mind um, with fortitude due to the fact that you have accomplished this very hard thing uh, in, in, in the months before you. It's essentially, as Goggins says, putting a cookie in the cookie jar so that when life throws its inevitable curveballs at you, which life always does, the hardships always come at us by, through, through life, right? That we can look back and say, I did that hard thing, therefore I can do this hard thing. And so it's important to build mental fortitude. I think one of the easiest ways that we can do it is to do it um, voluntarily out of our own will and to consciously look for hard things to do to build our mental fortitude. Yeah, Andrew, I'm wondering your your sort of stance on uh, vulnerability because I believe that vulnerability can be used as a, a secret power for success. So tell me about a moment of vulnerability in your own life and why you think vulnerability is important in the journey for men to really establish the best versions of them. That's a a great question. And my answer is twofold. On the one hand, um, I would throw it back to talking about being authentic and and open. And the consequence of that is that when you share your real life story and what you're struggling with and what you've gone through to get where you're at, there are always going to be other people out there that are going to see that and take strength from it and take direction from it. So on the one hand, I think it's very important to be open and authentic and thereby vulnerable. Now, a, a funny story on how on, on how this vulnerable situation has, has led to where I am today. When I was in college, one of my low points, I was still a party boy and lots of drinking and smoking and drugs and girls and PlayStation and porn. I brought a girl home one night, beautiful girl, long legs, brunette, literally a model, still still is today. And I was sober, and yet, to my dismay, I couldn't get it up. And I attributed that to the fact that for about a decade, I had been a daily porn user. And so this beautiful, wholesome girl just didn't do it for me, which was pretty awkward in the moment. But what it did do is that in that moment, I quit porn. And five years later, I visit high schools around the country, and that is one of my foot, that's that's my foot in the door, is I get to talk to guys about porn and help them to get off of porn and, and, and help them to understand why it's so dangerous and so destructive. And by doing that, the guys then give up all the other addictions that they're busy fighting. And so by being able to openly talk about that moment, vulnerably uh, put myself out there we are now seeing guys level up we're now seeing this massive culture shift erupt around the country um, and so you know there is this massive benefit that does come from me being able to tell my story and be vulnerable like, like that i think it's a just a good example of what you're what you're talking about yeah absolutely and what do you think it means to seize opportunities for advancement in life. So what does it mean to you to seize opportunities in life? 
the first thing that comes to mind when you talk about seizing opportunities is being ready and staying ready for them. There's no, there's no good that the opportunity comes to me that I get this, this open door and then I'm not capable, I'm not able, I'm not I'm competent enough to deliver what I need to deliver for that opportunity. So I think you need to have momentum. You need to be on the front foot so that when the opportunity comes along that you can take them on properly. That you don't just have a half-hearted attempt at whatever the opportunity is, but that you can come in, own the room, over-deliver, and, 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 and be a success in every aspect of that opportunity. So when I think of, of seizing opportunities, I think of being ready, of building yourself up to the version of yourself that is going to be the best person to take on that opportunity. And, and you know, you know I, I'm curious to get your worldview on the current, current state of society today. You know, when you turn, turn on the news or you walk outside the door, you know, you know, one of the reasons, Drew, I wanted to start this podcast is because I, I told myself three and a half years ago that there has to be more uh, that binds us together than tearing us apart. So when you look at society today, Drew, I, I'm curious, how do you view sort of our a societal disconnect? And how do you think we can create more bridges of unity of understanding? I think a lot of the uh, disconnect that we're seeing, a lot of the issues that we're seeing coming about are not by chance. I think that there's a lot that has been done to uh, curate and incite um, the disconnect and, and, and a lot of the issues that are, that are coming about. I think that we need to just be able to have conversation and for both parties to be able to listen and try and hear where the other party's heart is in that conversation. Very often we listen to reply and to get our idea across without being able, because it takes a, lot, a huge degree of humility to be able to take something from that person's perspective. And I think if we can learn to, to have those conversations, um, we'd be a lot better off. I, I also think that we need more courage, that we need... Um, the, the tenacity and and the and the and the fortitude to stand on certain values. We've been told that um, tolerance is is always a virtue, and, and I don't believe that that's the case. I think that certain um, things are being done that are against value systems, and that we should be able to stand on that and agree on that. But because we've been separated at large, we're we're not understanding that the large majority is in agreement and has the same kind of values for the most part. And if we could bridge that that gap and find that common ground, we'd be a lot stronger together. Yeah, and Andrew, how do you define, you brought up the uh, notion of courage. So how do you define courage and hope? How do you think those two things are interconnected? So courage is an interesting one. I think that courage is the capacity to continue to continue forward when you are afraid. It's to move despite being paralyzed by fear. It's being able to turn, to tell your mind that you're not afraid, you're excited. right? To, to have your back against the wall and to put on a brave face and to still move. I think that hope is incredibly important. It is incredibly powerful. It's, it's what has kept me going through many a, 
a dark season. It's the knowledge that this too shall pass, that there will, there has to be, we have to believe that there will be better times. Right? I don't know if you've ever heard of the drowning rat experiment, but they took a rat, they put it in a bucket of water, they put the lid on their weights to see how long it would take for the rat to give up and drown. Then they took another rat, put it in a bucket, but after five minutes, they took the rat out. They rescued the rat. Then they put the rat back in the water, put the lid back on. And what they found is that that rat out swam the first rat by many multiples of time because he had a hope that he would be, if he could hold on just a little bit longer, that he would be pulled out again. And that's the power of hope. It keeps us going for that little bit longer every time. Yeah, you know, uh, Drew, my final question for you today has to do with legacy, my friend, and how you view your personal and professional legacy and how you want that to be defined. I think this is your, your most profound question out of, out of any of them today, and it's one that I, I don't take lightly, and it's something that I've asked myself many times before. My biggest fear is that I would get to the end of my life and meet the man that I was supposed to be. That's a, a, something that keeps me up at night, is that I might not amount to who I was made to be. The answer then to your question is that I want to be known as a man of substance who would lead and influence the men of my generation and the next to be protectors and providers, to be the strong pillars of society that they're needed to be for the times ahead of us, because I don't think we're moving into any easier times. And then I want to be the light on a hill in the times that are coming, because I think there are dark times coming. I want to speak truth and love. And ultimately, I want to lead people to God through Christ, who is our salvation. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, Drew, tell me, if people want to uh, get connected with you, brother, what's the best way they can do that? You can find me on Instagram, primarily. It's my main platform, at busterat.today. And then you can find me online. My website is the same, busterat.today. Fantastic. Well, uh, Drew, I really want to thank you for the work that you do in uh, men's mental health and really bringing a forward and interesting and innovative way to help men reach the fullest times of their own potential. My friend, your work in this space and time on my behalf today is most appreciated and I want to thank you for being here. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate you having me. Uh, keep up the work and, and I hope to get to chat to you again one day.